Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the This Is Bitcoin podcast, where I, Bitcoin Gandalf, speak to Bitcoiners about privacy, technology, security, self-sovereignty, and building for Bitcoin. Today, I'm speaking with Oscar Mary, creator of Fountain App. Fountain is a social podcasting app that enables podcast discoverability via clip sharing and which embraces the podcasting 2.0 philosophy of value for value by enabling streaming of sats from listeners to creators via the Lightning Network. Oscar and I connected after he contacted me about getting the This Is Bitcoin podcast on Fountain app. I was interested in learning more about him and Fountain, so he very kindly agreed to speak with me on the show so that we could share this with all of you. I'm a big fan and want to support the podcasting 2.0 movement, so if you haven't tried any apps that support streaming of sats, please consider checking out Fountain or any of the other podcasting apps such as Sphinx, Chat, or Breeze, and consider streaming us some sats if you enjoyed this conversation. Fountain app is available in both the iOS App Store and the Google Play Store for Android, or check them out at their website, fountain.fm. And now, my conversation with Fountain app co-founder, Oscar Mary. Please enjoy. Oscar, welcome to the show. Could you please tell the audience who you are and what Fountain is? Thanks. Yeah, great to be here. My name's Oscar Mary, and I'm building Fountain, which is fundamentally a podcast app. So you can listen to podcasts on Fountain in the same way that you'd expect uh, from probably you're using something like Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Overcast maybe. Fountain is special though because it allows you to stream and tip Bitcoin to the podcast you're listening to as you're listening. And we do this over the Bitcoin Lightning Network as well as the Bitcoin transactions. We also have the ability for you to create and share clips from the podcast you're listening to. Um, so yeah, that's a high level overview of what Fountain is. Happy to dive into the specifics. Yeah, awesome. Um, uh, I've got some questions lined up just about about everything that Fountain does specifically that sort of makes it different from other podcasting apps. And we're going to dive down on those topics. But before we get into that, I also wanted to sort of hear a little bit of uh, of your background. What were you doing before Fountain? How did you end up working on Fountain and how did you get into Bitcoin? And, and I'd be interested to know actually like, were you doing something to do with podcasting first and then you found that Bitcoin was a great thing to apply to podcasting or was it like you found Bitcoin first and you're like, wow, this would be really good for podcasting. Which which one came first? That I'd be really interested in knowing that. Yeah, it's a great question. It was actually interesting because it wasn't exactly like one came before the other. So yeah, to give you a bit of background, um, I have been, you know, um, in tech for uh, basically my entire career. I've been a software developer for a long time, studied engineering at university and um, had a previous business, um, which was a digital agency and studio, um, which we sold at the end of 2019. And so through 2020, was doing a bit of contracting and trying to figure out what I wanted to do next and wanted to do something in the audio space and specifically podcasting because i think podcasts are such an amazing way to connect with connect and learn from all of these amazing people around the world like i've learned so much from listening to podcasts and so it's some an area that i wanted to work in at the same time though i've always been interested in bitcoin i was lucky and got introduced to bitcoin very early on so um, 
I forget whether it was 2013 or 2014, but um, a, a friend of mine kind of showed it to me and I got some Bitcoin and then forgot about it for a long time. Um, but because I had had some, when the price started to go up, I started to take notice again. And I'd say from about 2015, 2016, started following it um, quite intently and keeping up with the developments, investing more in it. And so, yeah, from, I'd say, the end of 2019 to 2020, as I was deciding what I wanted to do next, my primary goal was to do something in audio in podcasting because I just have this belief that listening to somebody else speak about their experience is such an incredible way to learn, to discover insights, to discover knowledge, to discover wisdom. And so I love podcasting. Um, at the same time, though, I was, you know, following Bitcoin, going deeper. And it just so happened that after we built the first version of Fountain, which didn't have any, uh, didn't have the lightning transactions in there, we came across the um, podcasting 2.0 value standard, which integrated the Bitcoin lightning network. So that's how the kind of my two interests kind of collided into what is now Fountain. So yeah, it was a great, um, I guess, great mix of the two things I'm most interested in. Amazing. Um, yeah, it, it's funny how like a lot of people, yeah, yeah you, you sort of like, it, it's fantastic when you can combine two things uh, that you're into uh, to create a sort of like, I don't want to say like to create a niche because that sounds cliche, but like, yeah, you, instead of like just doing something random with Bitcoin or something to do with podcasting by combining the two, you're sort of like finding a little, a little space in the market that you're trying to create for, um, which makes you a little bit more unique and, and like, differentiates you from every everyone else so like and it's a great way to like combine two things that you know and two skills um I, I often feel like the more you the more like different things you can combine up to a certain extent like the the more you can find a space for yourself to create stuff so it's awesome to hear that like that you were into both things um and you managed to find a way to to put them together um congrats on the exit um in 2019 as well that's awesome um I, yeah, I can relate also to the story of like, you know, holding Bitcoin and then, uh, yeah, seeing the number go up and that like that skin in the game is what gets you interested in and in learning more. And I completely agree with you. Like mm -hmm. podcasting is such a powerful tool to learn. You can basically, basically you have access to the greatest thinkers, minds and information of the entire world, which without the internet and without podcasting, you you just wouldn't have access to like we can listen to like you know tim ferris or robert breedlove or whoever it is like talk about stuff that you would have never gotten um exposure to if if it wasn't for the internet and podcasting and other mediums of communication so that's awesome um exactly and and also just on that you know it's the way that you get access to these amazing minds is not always necessarily the finished product so it's not like you're hearing them present a finished article or a finished point of view. You're actually with them on their journey of exploration and understanding and knowledge seeking. So it's even better than just learning um, something from you know the world's top expert. You actually get to go along with them on their journey and learn with them as they develop and as they grow and learn more through their guests. So yeah, it's such an amazing medium. That's very true. Uh, yeah, like a lot of people, like Tim Ferriss comes to mind, like where he's exploring topics from the start 
out in the open and then sharing them so you you get to learn with him and because i yeah i guess a point is like if you just like you know started listening to to someone who's like a top level computer scientist and he was just talking about like you know his deepest level of knowledge straight away and you as a beginner you'd have no idea what he's talking about or you couldn't relate but if you started with someone who's like right i'm going to start learning about this and start talking to people recording it and sharing it you can sort of learn with that person which is awesome um yeah, great point. Uh, in terms of um, of Fountain, are you able to tell us a little bit more um, about like, like who works? Are you? I think you have a co-founder, right? So how did you guys meet? How did it start? Like, do you guys have employees? Um, have you raised funding? Or are you bootstrapping it? And if you can share about like how many people are using it and that sort of stuff, I know some of that might be private, so feel free to not share anything you don't want to share. But just yeah, a little bit about um, the the sort of the organization and the the business model of fountain yeah so we're really early with fountain um we bootstrapped um this entire year basically been working on it um you know bootstrapped this year and so it's just me and my co-founder nick and we have actually just raised a small bit of funding um so we'll be looking to expand the team but uh, yeah, we're still very early, still figuring things out, still, you know, the app is in a good place, but there's still a lot of work to do in terms of the user experience. Sure. Yeah. I can't. When did you guys launch? We we went live on iOS and Android um, at the end of July. So we're at the end of October now. What's that? Um, three, three months we've been live. Uh, nice. Yeah, I bet there's that's a lot of work for two people to do. And um, what kind of so you said you're a software developer, like um, so are you do you specialize in coding like apps or are you doing other sort of stuff? And you're like now learning how to do the app side. And, and what does your co-founder do? Yeah, so um, my background is in tech. I've been a software developer. Uh, I'm not an expert in mobile development or I, I wasn't before building the first version of Fountain. So my prior business, I was the CTO but we weren't building mobile apps. So it's been a steep learning uh, curve for me in building Fountain. And, and Nick is more, uh, it, Nick's non-technical and he's more on the um, marketing and community side. So, you know, speaking to podcasters, educating them about Bitcoin and how um, the model of value for value can be a really great way to monetize. So yeah, for me, it's been a steep learning curve this year in terms of upskilling myself in mobile development. Um, but the app is built in a framework called Flutter, which is Google's cross-platform uh, native development framework, which has been really great. So yeah, any software engineers listening who haven't experimented with Flutter would definitely um, recommend checking it out. Cool. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I, I, I'm, I'm not a software developer at all, but I do I do like to, I, I'm trying to learn a little bit about it. Um, especially since I got into Bitcoin, um, I already wanted to like sort of learn some form of coding. Um, but after getting into Bitcoin, so much of it is to do with technology and computer science that like it's made me even, I, I basically want to learn every aspect of, of Bitcoin and my background is in finance. So I've got that down, like, you know, the whole like store of value and the economics and the game theory of it is interesting, but it's not what I'm most interested in now. I'm more interested in the, like the technology, the privacy and the building stuff for Bitcoin and how it's going to change um, all those areas. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I do like to get into like the nitty details of like languages and just at least to like hear different, what I've never heard of Flutter, for example, but I, is it Swift that, uh, that, um, that, 
other people code in is it's not swift is it it's something else but there is a, there is a language where you can code apps for both ios and android with one with the same language right so yeah it depends there's a few different routes you can take so swift is mainly ios and then okay. on the android side you'd be using java or kotlin and there's a few cross-platform frameworks that basically allow you to uh code in one language so the language that is used in flutter is actually called dart so yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of language names flying about but yeah flutter is the framework that you use to create cross-platform apps on ios and android and then dart is the actual programming language that um that you use within flutter oh interesting is that something google's developed themselves the the, the language yeah that's something google have developed yeah. but it's all open source and you know Okay. Out, in, out in the open actually mo a lot of the people developing flutter and improving it are, are not google employees so yeah it's all out in the open awesome and then before were you doing like web development yeah so all kinds of different things really um so we started as a digital agency um and the, the previous business doing um actually building apps for amazon alexa and google assistant so kind of server-side stuff um, but interacting with, yeah, these smart speakers, which are, was a really interesting, um, yeah, type of development, because obviously there's no UI. So you're coding in response to voice commands. And the challenge there is your user can say anything they want. So it's definitely a unique challenge to build great experiences in, in that world. Right. There's no sort of like there's no like this or that, right? They could they they could literally say anything, and most of the time you have to be able to respond with the well. The the Alexa has to be able to respond with something, even if it's like I don't know what you said, sort of thing. So yeah, I've never exactly. thought about that. That's interesting. Awesome. Um, okay, cool. Um, so, uh, in terms of like, uh, so I've been looking at Fountain. I was using it. I've been using it to listen to podcasts the last couple of days. Um, I I streamed some sats to uh, Marty Bent for our. Um, his podcast tales from the crypt. I don't know if you've ever checked that out. I was actually listening. Yeah, to I'm a regular listener. Yeah, you regular listener. It's a, it's a good one. Actually, I was listening to the episode because I I kind of knew about um, podcasting 2.0 from Adam Curry being on Joe Rogan uh, and then just like hearing about Sphinx Chat and stuff like that. So I was listening to the episode with the founder of Sphinx Chat and um, yeah, I, well, Marty mentioned they have like half a million listeners, which I thought was crazy for, I mean, that's, that's amazing for Tales from the Crypt because it's quite a nerdy um, podcast. But um, so I, I was trying to figure out like what, who, who, I know you said you guys are early, so you're still trying to figure, you might still be figuring a lot of this out yourself, but like who are um, Fountain's customers? Like who is it that you want to reach and get on the platform? Um, is it, is it creators? Is it listeners? It might be both because you need creators to be able to have shows so that you have listeners. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a great question. And there's a lot there uh, to speak about. Right now on Fountain, the people listening, I mean, we have a range of people listening. I think there's a big segment of people that are really into Bitcoin and want to get behind the vision of um, you know, streaming sats to podcasts and allowing podcast creators to monetize directly from their listener without an intermediary. So that's a big part. We also have just, you know, a lot of people that are interested in new technology, not necessarily were interested in Bitcoin before, but are just interested in new ways of uh, doing things with podcasting. 
Um, and that's been great because it's a really, you know, committed early user base that are, you know, willing to give us feedback and stick with us through some of the UX challenges of, for example, onboarding onto the Lightning Network, which I can talk more about. I think long term, though, with what we're trying to achieve with Fountain is we want to be mass market. We want to be challenging Apple Podcasts and Spotify uh, for, you know, for mainstream podcast listeners. And we want to make it so easy to start supporting your favorite podcast with Bitcoin that you don't even really need to know it's Bitcoin. You don't need to care about Bitcoin. You don't need to care about, you know, the, the monetary benefits. Obviously, I'm a big believer in all of that, but we want to make it so easy and seamless that people don't need to know about that, don't need to care about that. All they need to care about is supporting their favorite podcast and, and showing their support through um, by, by tipping them. Um, and so that's a big challenge because obviously the onboarding user experience, especially with the Lightning Network, is quite, uh, it's quite challenging at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, would you say, or what, what are your thoughts on, on um, Twitter enabling like Lightning tipping? And has that, is that going to open doors and make it easier for other businesses to, to use that? Because like a lot of people use Twitter, so they'll at least be familiar with having heard about, you know, you can tip with Bitcoin and maybe they've heard about Lightning, maybe they've activated it. So now going to another app where it's like, oh, I also can use Lightning or Bitcoin here. Do you think that's going to have a big impact across anyone who's trying to use Bitcoin or Lightning uh, to, to enable payments within, within their apps? Definitely. I think the area where it helps the most is when we're speaking to podcasters that have never heard about Bitcoin um, or the Lightning Network, often we'll speak to podcasters and they love the idea of their listeners being able to support them financially within the actual podcast player. Because right now, and I'm sure you've heard this before, if you listen to podcasts, I'm sure your listeners will have heard this too. The, the most common thing for podcasters to do is set up a Patreon and in the pre-roll or the post-roll say, hey guys, if you love this show, please support me on Patreon. It really helps um, you know, contribute to the costs and, and sustain what we're doing here. And that's amazing, but it's actually... There's so much friction involved with that because yeah. as a listener, what do you have to do? You have to, you know, pause the podcast, close the app, go into your web browser, go to Patreon, uh, find that podcaster on Patreon, create a Patreon account, pick the subscription level you want, um, and also cognitively make that decision about, oh, do I want to pay this person on an ongoing basis? So, you know, there's just so much friction, both from a practical sense, but also mentally about, do I want to support them on an ongoing basis? That it just is going to stop so many people from actually paying. Also, like $3 a month for a podcast, just that doesn't make sense as a monetization method because I'm sure you found this. Often with podcasts, we dip in and out. So we won't necessarily listen to every episode. We'll find some episodes incredibly valuable and in insightful and other episodes not so much. That's just the nature of podcasting. And so some kind of external subscription service like Patreon just does not make sense. So when we talk to podcasters, they all recognize this. And when we say, you know, with Bitcoin and Lightning, you can allow your listener to not only stream you per minute, but send you a tip and also send you a message. And, and that tip and that message from within Fountain has the timestamp, the episode information, 
all of the analytics. So it provides value to the podcast on not only in, in the form of financial support, but also feedback and analytics and data. So it's incredibly powerful for the podcaster. And when we speak to new podcasters, they see this straight away. That, you know, to be honest, often the Bitcoin aspect would put them off because they'd be like, oh, that's, you know, what is that? It's Why scam. are you using Bitcoin? <laughs> it, so it can be a little bit of a put off. Yeah. Yeah, I think but, um, like... to, to go back to your question mm. with um, with Twitter integrating Lightning, that really helps the podcaster make a decision to actually try this because they're they're like, okay, if Twitter are integrating this, if El Salvador are integrating the Lightning Network into their national economy, this isn't just some crazy crypto thing. This is actually something that's becoming mainstream. So I think it really helps adoption for us uh, from that perspective yeah definitely i think it definitely brings some legitimacy and and takes away some of like some of the sort of the fud that people might have in their heads from reading sort of mainstream media articles about bitcoin and and just crypto in general um and you touched i mean you, I, i'm making notes as you speak because you're touching on so many amazing things that i that i want to go back to and highlight like definitely what you said about um you know the friction of if you want to monetize directly um, uh, with your audience rather than having like an advertising uh, model on your podcast, uh, then yeah, asking them to go somewhere like onto another platform and then sign up and put in their credit card details and then choose like to pay you three bucks a month, regardless of whether they listen or not. That's just like a really, really bad system. Uh, and I, I guess mm. like some of that is just due to the fiat rails, right? It's very hard to stream someone five cents um, just because exactly. the cost of transacting is so high. Whereas like for, for listeners who are not familiar with what the Lightning Network is, and we can touch on that later, but uh, it's basically a nearly free and instant um, transfer of Satoshis, which are units uh, of Bitcoin. Um, one really interesting thing I just thought about now in terms of like um, the, the user experience and removing friction. Um, obviously, I think like... Um, a creator is going to be incentivized to use a platform where the friction is removed such that he can receive, I guess, the mo the highest number of sats from their listeners. And um, like, I know your app, you have you on your app, you have it so that as soon as like you choose a podcast to listen to, you can then like choose how many sats you want to stream per minute. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be interesting. I, and I want, I just wonder whether this would be like a, a less less friction or more friction or whether the the sort of the conversion to have people actually stream sats uh would change if, if like when you subscribe to that podcast you immediately are asked to say do you want to how many sats do you want to stream per minute and people can put zero or they can put something as opposed to it just being like there passively once they start listening they can then go and select but like you know having i, I know that obviously pop-ups do would increase maybe friction to listening. You want to get them straight onto the content. Um, but I wonder if it's like, you know, you press follow on a podcast. So why not also at the same time say like this podcaster, I'm going to stream one sat per, mi per minute or whatever it is then. And then it's done. Um, so the user doesn't have to yeah, think about it again, right? Yeah, that's an amazing idea. Yeah, I'll, I'll just noted that down because it's a great idea. You're right. Right now, even if you have topped up your fountain wallet and you're willing to stream sats just that reminder after you follow a podcast would be really helpful i think yeah. great idea i was just thinking for myself like um because i'm going to be making written content and stuff uh like that it's like for a website um 
rather than just have it open, you could have the, you know, somebody clicks through to a, a blog you wrote and they are asked whether they want to stream you a Satoshi's for it or not. They can say no and read it for free, but they might, you know, put in whatever, 100 sats. I feel like people are generally, when it's such small units, like people are almost happy to tip, like to tip you, even just like if it's a meme, you can make it meme numbers because there's a funny, right? So like make it 420 sats or 690 sats or 69 sats or whatever. Um, but yeah. Just like having the having that there before the, the person gets, because I think sometimes after they've had it for free, they don't value it as much. So mm. even though you're not asking them to, you're not making them pay. You're just asking, would you like to donate anything before you read this? And they can click no if they want, if they don't want to, and they can do it. And you could also put it potentially at the end. I don't know if there's any like platforms that allow, allow you to do that already or like anything open source that you could, inst I guess you could like do a BTC pay server or something on a website that would like activate a, a pop-up where you ask someone to donate sats before they read or something like that. Uh, but yeah, mm, just, mm. just an idea. I, I didn't know about the messages thing. That's interesting. So um, you were saying that's useful for podcasters because like you might see where somebody found a lot of value in, an, in a, in, like which bit of an episode someone found a lot of value for, because they might like send you a message saying like, oh, wow, that was a really bit, a cool bit of information or like that was an amazing story or whatever. Is that what you're talking about? Exactly. So if you think about any scenario not just content creators feedback is valuable no matter what you're doing in life feedback is valuable you know if you're offering a product feedback on your product is valuable if you're offering a service feedback on your service is valuable if you're creating content feedback on the content you create is valuable and so if you have if somebody sends you a message to do with your content like for example if someone listens to this episode and sends you a dm saying hey, really loved this episode, thanks so much. That's valuable to you as a piece of feedback. But if that piece of feedback has a financial value attached to it and has a specific timestamp in the episode, then it's even more valuable because you get to distinguish between these different pieces of feedback of which were more meaningful. So if you have one listener who sends you you know, a really large number of sats, um, you know that that person really cared and, and you should pay attention more to that message. And also you can see exactly where in the episode they sent that message. So you can go back and you can think, okay, that part of the interview was really interesting. Um, I should do more like that, or I should ask more questions like that. So yeah, the value to the content creator, the value to the podcast is so much more than the actual Satoshi's. Yeah, agreed. And this this kind of reminds me of like um just digging into YouTube analytics like you can see uh you can see sort of like average watch time and you can see where people drop where in an episode or in a video people drop off and you can kind of go back and see like well what did I do in that bit that made everyone, you know, I lost 50% of the viewers at this mark. What happened there? In this case it would be hopefully people sending you positive feedback rather than like paying to send you a message saying they hated it. Um, but, but yeah, very <laughs> useful to see where that's happening. Well, that's, it. that's the other thing, which is um, there's an inherent um, push towards more positive interactions when you attach value to the messages because it costs to uh, send a message. So for example, if you're trying to troll someone 
or you know go from account to account podcast to podcast just to leave you know a horrible message because you're just a troll you know it's going to cost you to do that so yeah. the the hurdle to jump through to send a negative message is 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 higher that, that's not going to stop people um leaving negative messages i i think actually you know negative messages and fair criticism of content is something that is really good um so we're not trying to block that but would by just attaching a financial value to every message we're just making it more difficult to just uh, comment with throwaway comments that don't add value or yeah. are kind of meaningless yeah i think that i think with if you if you have to attach a monetary value to make a comment then the comment's going to have some value to the person making it as well because they're willing to spend some money to make it whereas like a troll is, exactly and i mean if a troll really wants to pay to troll you at least you're getting some money for the troll right <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> awesome um so um going back to some of um fountain's uh features uh, so obviously we have the streaming sets and we'll dig a little bit more into that later. Um, but I, what I thought was really interesting as well, like is the, is the ability to clip and share podcasts. Um, so I used to, I, I don't use Instagram as much anymore, but I used to use Instagram stories a lot before, and I would love to share clips from podcasts on Instagram stories. And the process went something a little bit like this, like I would be I'd listen to a bit of the podcast. I usually listen at one and a half X or two X, depending on how fast the person uh, spe is speaking. So like, I have to go back, switch it back to one po to like one X, if I remember, uh, you know, and then screen cap and then go to something like cut story and cut up like a five minute thing into billions of 10 second or 15 second clips. And then I have to go and put them all into Instagram stories. And it was just like a humongous pain. And just to do that across different platforms, also a humongous pain. Um, but but you guys have this this feature where like within the app I can choose a clip and then I can like sort of export it out of the app as a as an audio clip or a video clip and then share it wherever I like, um, which I thought was was really cool. Um, one thing I also th I don't know if this is like part of of the the reason why you guys have this, but I also thought it was awesome because as a creator, if if the listener has the ability to really easily share my content, then it's like I have a little army of market. Obviously I have to provide value for them to want to share a clip, but I have like a little army of people who are disseminating my podcast out into the world. Whereas right now, I think the only people who really make an effort to do that are the creators themselves who have to go and like clip bits and share them out, um, which I thought was awesome. Is that, was that some of the thinking behind having that feature? Exactly. Yeah, you're exactly right. Let me explain. There's a few different angles that we approach this from. Um, <clears throat> I think fundamentally for me, it was a personal problem, which is I listen to so many podcasts that often I would open my podcast app, uh, you know, in the morning or when I'm going out and I want to listen to a podcast. And I just have too many episodes that I'd want to listen to, but wouldn't have time for. So it very much started as there's all of this knowledge, insight, and wisdom that's locked away in podcast episodes. How do you surface the insights from podcasts in a way that makes them easier to discover, easier to share, uh, easier to basically consume? And, you know, creating clips is the obvious answer to that. And some other podcast apps do have clipping, but they all have an interface that is very difficult to use. So 
some apps will have a time slider where you can put the start time and end time that you want to clip or you know scroll through the audio wave and create a selection and but that's just too difficult for somebody to do it takes too much cognitive load to hold in your head okay the clip started at minute 45 36 and it ended one minute and 10 seconds later um you know while you're thinking about that and also trying to create a contextually succinct clip it's just it's too much cognitive load to do so what we do in fountain is give you the transcript of the podcast episode and allow you to select the text of the bits that you want and then we will use the timestamps of every word to automatically generate the audio for you and this makes things this makes it much easier for the listener to create and share clips and so it solves the problem of how do you surface the best insights from podcasts because it's not just as you said a lot of podcast creators will create audiograms and share them on social media to promote their show but this gives that same ability to the listener and so it just you know um makes gives you more opportunity to find these insights so yeah it was a it was a personal problem for me um i think we're we still have a lot to do in terms of making the clip creation and the discovery around that easier. But I think it's going to be really a really powerful way for people to gain insights from podcasts without having to listen to the full episode. And another example of this as well is the back catalogs of many podcasts. So if you take your favorite um, podcast, you mentioned Tim Ferriss earlier, like you probably, when you first started listening to his podcast had hundreds of episodes in the back catalog and you've probably never gone back to listen to them maybe maybe one or two because it's just so, so difficult to go back and browse through and figure out which one do I want to listen to you know where are there some interesting conversations in a topic that I might find interesting and by surfacing clips from the back catalog that's driven by you know, not just the podcaster, but people that you follow, um, then it's a great way to kind of explore podcast content in a way that's less time consuming and you don't have to go and dedicate a full hour, hour and a half, two hours. Um, so yeah, we think it makes the listening experience um, for the, yeah, the end user much better, but then it's got the added benefit, as you said, of being great for the podcaster because instead of you just doing one audiogram for each episode and, and promoting it yourself. You potentially, if you have a engaged audience, will have multiple people sharing their different favorite moments from uh, that episode. And, and everyone is gonna find uh, different moments in different episodes. Uh, they're gonna get different amounts of value from those. So it's good to have variety there because at the end of the day, it's gonna drive more traffic to your podcast. So yeah, there's, there's I think, a lot of value for the listener, but also for the podcaster. Yeah, that's awesome. I hadn't actually thought about that. Um, you make some really good points about like, you know, if you have loads of, like, as you said, if you have loads of episodes that you want to check out, like you don't have the time or you don't know like where, you know, there might be a certain bit of the episode or half an hour that's awesome and the rest of it is not really interesting to you. So having the ability to to discover via clips is awesome. Um, and, and yeah, saves you time, adds value to, to the listener. So I, yeah, that's awesome. And then obviously the, like, as you said, the benefit for the, 
the creator. I was just, just like, whilst you were talking, I was thinking like, you know, there are obviously the create, like we said that creators are doing this. Like you have something like JRE clips on YouTube, right? Where he's clipping uh, mm. interesting sections of his podcast and putting them up. Uh, and that just gets him extra views. And, and obviously it pulls interesting stories out and, and um, delivers them as like, uh, as individual bits of content. Um, so it'd be awesome. Like, it'd be awesome if you had a, a like, a podcasting app where you log in and all your subscribed, all the podcasts you're subscribed to, you're initially just seeing like clips that then you're like, wow, that clip looks cool. You listen to that clip and you're like, oh, I want to check out this entire episode. That would be a good way of being able to like listen to a wider variety of, of things without having to spend three hours listening to, an, you know, especially a Joe Rogan episode that they, they tend to be um, that long. I mean, um, you said earlier, like just going back, if you haven't, if you did, weren't listening to Tim Ferriss from the start, you obviously like may have missed hundreds of episodes. I was just thinking even the UX of, even if you wanted to go back and listen to Tim Ferriss episode, whatever, if he hasn't numbered them properly such that you can't search for episode six, like even scrolling down 600 episodes on Spotify is quite cumbersome. It's not easy. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And it's not like you, you can't, if you're like, oh, he has an episode with such and such like sometimes it can be hard to find where on the list that is like, especially with more amateur podcasts or pe maybe podcasts that are like less, obviously Tim Ferriss has like a staff and he does it all really well, but for like single creators who don't have maybe the time to be so detailed and methodical about the organization of their podcast, it can make the discoverability really hard. So something like this um, is awesome for that as well. And then one other thing I wanted to see if you, are you aware of um, a service called this Descript or Descript? Yeah, yeah. So the 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 clip editing tool that the clip editing interface within Fountain was partly inspired by the Descript editor um, because the, what Descript have done for professional podcast editing um, through their text-based UI is something that we think we're we're gonna we're able to do for the listener. So yeah, it was definitely um, definitely inspired by that UI. Awesome. Yeah. Cause I, I learned about that recently and I thought it was genius. And then when I saw you guys have a similar thing for your clipping, I was like, I was wondering whether you knew, uh, in case you didn't, um, so you could check that out. But yeah, it, 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 I think it's like the most user-friendly way of doing it right now. Um, scrubbing timelines and stuff like that is a little bit more like nerdy techie. Maybe people won't feel as comfortable as like, you know, reading, everyone can read some text and select it um and yeah so and also it just ta it takes up brain space that could otherwise be dedicated to thinking about the clip because what are you trying to do when you're sharing a clip from a podcast you're trying to share an insight you're trying to teach someone something and if 50 percent of your attention is taken up by thinking about the start time and end time you know, the audio waveform and how that contributes to what's being said, then you have 50% less brain capacity to actually think, okay, if a friend or family member or whoever I'm going to share this with is going to hear this part of the podcast on its own, like, is that going to contextually make sense to them? And so by freeing up the rest of your brain capacity to focus on that, we think that the clips that are created are much higher quality and i think we've seen that on fountain whereby the, the clips are all have been really interesting and it's also fascinating to get a window into 
uh, other people's podcast listening habits as well, because everybody has their topics that they're really interested in that they'll probably listen to podcasts about regularly. So I'm sure a lot of your listeners will listen to a lot of Bitcoin podcasts. For me personally, I listen to a lot of uh, podcasting podcasts as well as Bitcoin. And but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to be interested in random other topics that are not going to be interesting enough for you to listen to listen to deep dives on them every week. But you know, every now and again, do you want to hear the most insightful thing from that topic area? Yeah, of course you do. Of course that's going to um, be interesting to you, and also it's going to broaden your perspective. You know, it's not. It's going to take you out of your um, your your narrow area of interest which i think is great for you know broadening your horizons and and being more creative and being more you know curious about the world yeah absolutely and i i um it kind of reminded me like it could almost be like it could almost help create a viral it could be like the retweet for podcasts right there's no way to like sort of share something that somebody else uh, from a podcast like a clip of it like on Twitter, it's very easy to like, if you like, if you like a, um, a tweet, you can share it with your, with your followers just by simply clicking a button. Uh, it's a little bit harder with, with a podcast, but I mean, there is, it, it, it seems like it could be become that it could become like the retweet of, of podcasting. If you're able to clip and share really easily. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Awesome. And then, um, so I noticed on using fountain, um, so on, the what i guess i would call the home screen but i when i go in it says welcome back and i'm in a i'm immediately uh on a clips page which is showing me clips from my network so i was wondering how that works because i that yeah so i'm i'm seeing actually like now that i know who nick is it's your co-founder so i'm seeing clips from you guys but how is that home screen going to work and i saw that you followed me i think um potentially but so how is the 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 clips home screen going to work and like what kind of content are you going to show me how are you do you guys know how you're going to pick it is it based on who i follow or who follows me um any insights you can give on that yeah so right now it's very basic in terms of what you see on the home screen we wanted to make that the default screen because i guess the way we see it working is in terms of your daily listening habit is before you go to listen to a long form podcast, maybe on your morning commute, or maybe you're going for a walk, or maybe you're doing something around the house that you want to listen to a podcast. The idea behind the clipping is before you do that, you'll just go in and maybe listen to a clip or two, which will just take up, you know, two minutes of your time. Um, Right now, the way we surface those clips is very basic. So we just have uh, a, a small selection of popular clips. And then we also show you all of the new clips from the people that you follow. Um, so yeah, if you're following me and I've created a clip, you'll see it there uh, the next day. Um, obviously, in the future, we're going to get a lot more creative with the way we surface those. Um, but for now, it's pretty simple. I think like that is bang on the um, the making the home screen and, and like maybe focusing the app around uh, clips first is is really cool and very very different to what anyone else is doing as far as i know i'm not no expert but that's a really cool idea and pushing that is awesome it's almost like you could make listening to full episodes a sort of secondary thing you know because 
yeah, people can always go and like when they want to listen to something, go there. But like the, the really interesting thing is like being able to check out be, having content surfaced for you. Like I'm just looking at it, popular clips now, and I can see a couple from you that were even like helpful when I was trying to um, just trying to research podcasting 2.0. Like you'd already delivered a couple of, of things that saved me time because I was just able to click on those and listen to them. So that was awesome. Exactly. Yeah. You didn't have to go and listen to five podcast episodes about podcasting 2.0. You could just listen to some clips about it. Yeah. And actually we do have a, it's quite hidden in the app. We need to do a better job of surfacing it, but we do actually have the ability to create clip playlists, which means that, you know, I do actually have a playlist of podcasting 2.0 clips. So you can just go in and listen to, you know, you can spend 20 minutes listening to I think there's about 20 clips that I've got on there, all from different podcasts, but all summarizing key aspects of podcasting 2.0 and the value for value model. Awesome. Yeah, I'll I'll be checking those out. Um, I've got my wallet loaded up and everything. So that's fantastic. And that takes us actually uh, quite well to the next bit, which I wanted to talk to you about, which is um, like, I think it'd be useful for, for any listeners who don't know what podcasting 2.0 is um, to sort of, maybe understand like how did podcasting start where is it now and what is podcasting 2.0 is it a return to how podcasting used to be versus how it is now or is it something completely new and different yeah great question so starting off i guess podcasting what is a podcast i guess is a good uh question to start with and fundamentally the way we see it is a podcast is an RSS feed that is hosted somewhere on the internet that serves up audio files um, to a specific spec. And the the RSS podcast spec is something that's out there in the open, it's standardized, and anybody can use it, which means that podcasting is an open standard. Nobody has control over it. And anyone can host a podcast on their own website by setting up an RSS feed. Um, that's been great. Sorry, over, just to, just know, to past... interrupt you there. So RSS is like an, like sort of like you could equate it to like something that's open source. It's not owned by, it was like obviously created by someone or a group of people and then worked on uh, by volunteers. And there's no one that can like stop you from using RSS or like censor you or anything like that. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. In the same way that, um, you know, your the HTML on your website, no one can stop you from hosting a website with HTML on it. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's the same thing with RSS. No one can stop you from putting, it's just XML actually, if people know the XML uh, standard, it's just an XML document that you can host on your website. Okay. And so yeah, that's how podcasting started. And that's been great for, you know, many, many years. In the past few years, um, we've seen the big incumbent players, so Apple and Spotify in particular, starting to try and centralize podcasting because um, they what they want to do is become the YouTube of podcasting where there's one basically monopoly that controls everything and nobody else has a chance because of the uh, network effects and then that one company in, in this case, Google have like ultimate control over uh, the platform. So yeah, Apple podcasts and, and Spotify over the past couple of years are 
signaling and making moves that they're going to move away from open RSS and start to centralize things on their own platform. And, and what they, they say the reason they want to do this is to accelerate the features that exist within podcasting. And it's true that compared to the centralized models, the features do lack. So for example, as I'm sure you and a lot of your listeners will notice, a lot of podcasts, a lot of podcasters will put their podcasts on YouTube just so that they get access to the comments and because that's a really useful social feature. These kind of features are really difficult to build in an open, uh, decentralized way, whereas they're easy to build in a centralized way. So Apple and Spotify are saying they're doing it to create new features, and that's true, but also they're doing it to try and centralize things and, and kind of take control of the ecosystem. So this right, brings me to podcasting 2.0. Yeah, just if I, if I can interject here, because they could technically just work on the open standard, right? And then that would be available to everyone. But then obviously, since they're private companies that work for profit, their shareholders would be like, why are we using our resources uh, and paying staff to work on something that then anyone can use? And we, uh, we know, we don't exclusively benefit from it, even though they do, they will benefit. That's not an exclusive benefit. Is that, is that what the, why they would not be incentivized to work on, on improving RSS or XML or exactly yeah spotify you know they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars on exclusive podcasts like joe rogan um they need to have a return on their investment mm. and the way they do that is by drawing people into the spotify ecosystem and keeping them there so they want to work on things that are going to uh draw people into spotify's ecosystem and, and keep them there so really like the answer is or I guess, because what we're doing by going the, with an open standard as creators is like we're cutting out the middleman of Apple, Google, or Spotify because we don't need them, right? Um, but it does also put the onus on, onus on us to improve those those open platforms so that they have the features that we need so we don't get attracted over to the to the dark side, so to speak, to the closed platform where yes, we're getting exactly. better, better features or, or convenience, exactly, yeah. but we're giving up control. We're effectively like now there's a gatekeeper that can shut us off if we say the wrong thing or whatever, right? Exactly, yeah. It's not necessarily about cutting out the middleman. It's about making sure that that middleman, that service provider, that platform doesn't become a gatekeeper and doesn't develop ultimate control. So, right. you know, Fountain as a platform, we still want to be a platform. We still want to, you know, build a great business and, you know, offer amazing products and services and you know, make money from that. But we don't want to become so powerful that there's no alternative. With open standards, you always have an alternative to go to. You know, look at email. You can choose, you know, your email provider. You can go to different services and you you can compare the features but as a video creator for example you can't choose an alternative to youtube re really if you want to be successful as a video creator you have to be on youtube because you're saying no to you know 95 percent of the distribution opportunity mm. so yeah that's where i think the distinction lies and we can still have big platforms we just need to make sure that these big platforms don't have ultimate control over the over the uh, tech that they're built upon.
Got it. So the key is building on, but like that those platforms are built on top of open standards, right? Rather than trying to take the whole thing, centralize it and be gatekeepers. Exactly. So like, for example, well, I have, two, I have two, two strings I want to pull on this. Um, like, would Fountain be able to remove it? Like, let's say you guys support RSS, which is the open standard. And if I'm using RSS to distribute my podcast, does that mean it automatically goes on Fountain and you guys can't stop it? Or could you stop a podcast if you didn't want to have it on Fountain? Yeah, so we could technically stop a, a podcast from being on Fountain. Um, but you wouldn't, people would be able to find you in other places. Whereas on YouTube, if you get removed from, uh, YouTube, people can no longer find you or your content because your RSS feed is, is yours. You own it as fountain, which is consuming your RSS feed. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, I noticed so going through Anchor, and I think Anchor is owned by Spotify, which I just realized as well. So I, I, I'm keen to move away from using anything that's sort of trying to be closed. Almost to the well, this was going to be my next question. Like, what would be your advice for me? Would it be to go with everything? Uh, because then, even if I get censored on, uh, you know, a centralized platform, I still have my open R my you know my RSS feed, and anyone can still find me that way or would you say like um is there any value in taking a sort of moral stand which might hurt my listenership or accessibility to the content but where i'm like saying no i'm only going to use open standards yeah good question i think it's up to every individual to make that decision for themselves i think i wouldn't come down one way or the other i think you know for a you know small somebody that's you know just getting started in podcasting i think my personal opinion is i would recommend to be on all platforms because it increases your reach it increases the chance of you finding a listener that is going to get incredible value from your podcast um i think the bigger podcasters have more um are in a stronger position to take that kind of moral stand and we do see some of the bigger ones doing that. Um, but yeah, for, for a smaller podcast, I would say be on all the platforms. But what you can do to promote the open standards is you can say, you know, in your pre-roll or your post-roll on the show, instead of saying, hey guys, here's my podcast. You can listen wherever you get your podcast or you can listen on Apple or Spotify. Like call out a specific app call out a podcasting 2.0 enabled app, you know, use Fountain as an example. So that's a way that you can start to educate your listeners on why using more open platforms is important without, you know, locking them out from listening on their, their current favorite app. Yeah, interesting. So I think I, I, I can see where you're coming from and I agree in terms of like the reachability for new um podcasters is is important and you're definitely going to get you know more listeners uh through going with everyone one one other thing and i guess this might be something like as you said you know as as um, a podcaster's popularity grows they have more leeway to sort of do their own thing maybe even have their own platform or whatever um and and not be beholden to the giants that are giving them distribution they sort of like have their own distribution already because they're so popular um, but on the flip side of that, I have found in business and in, in that like 
putting barriers up actually gives you customers that really want you or your product or your service. Um, and so it like, it, it, it's almost a filter for, for customers that you might not really necessarily want to have. I don't know if that's, you know, a, a podcast listener is different because you're not like individually servicing him or her, but um, I, I've run service businesses before and I've definitely like uh, put hurdles in place to reduce the amount of like, I guess, customers that weren't very valuable to the business. Um, and I was thinking whether like something like only going with open standards or only going with like um, places where you, people can stream you sats, you build a more dedicated audience who really like likes that, likes to use like that type of technology is like you said earlier, like is into trying new tech um, as opposed to just like some random who's just clicked on your podcast on Spotify because it popped up. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Uh, but, and then just quickly, secondly, I actually thought that maybe uh, if you already have an audience, um, it might be easier to monetize uh, more quickly with uh, a streaming sats type situation than trying to go on Apple and becoming big enough that you can get a, that you can get a sponsor. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on either of those two things. Yeah, so on the po on the first point you mentioned around putting up barriers, I definitely agree with you that if you're running a service or a product business, I think it's good to put up barriers so that the customers that you get are the right customers for you. And, you know, they definitely, yeah, they definitely want your product and service. I do think podcasting and content creation generally is different because it's not like you're selling a product or service. You're actually putting out content that people may or may not find interesting. And I think fundamentally for any content, you do want to sample it. You do want to, you know, check it out before you uh, contribute financially. And the whole premise behind the value for value model, which is what podcasting 2.0 is uh, enshrined in, is that the content should be free mm -hmm. and you, you pay with the value that you think you've received so it's all optional um and i do think that for any podcaster small or large there is uh going to be significant opportunity to monetize uh through this model i think right now the challenge that we have is for somebody that is not experience with Bitcoin and Lightning, it's quite difficult for them to onboard and get some sats in their wallet. Um, but once they do, we've seen that people are more than willing to support their favorite shows and quite significantly. For example, we had one um, boost message a couple of weeks ago that was 250,000 sats. So, you know, this is not necessarily small amounts of money and that's just from one listener. Nice. So I think the opportunity for uh, creator monetization is going to be huge i just think we just need to we need to get through these ux challenges uh that obviously always will come with uh, a new uh way of doing things okay cool awesome well that yeah that's good um as somebody who's sort of new to the content creation business or game or whatever you want to call it that's good to know coming from like coming from a service business that's not may not necessarily be the same in terms of like yeah, I guess like how, I guess it's also about how time, how much time it takes to service a client. Like with a podcast, it's very scalable. You make a podcast and it can either be listened to by one person or a million people and you've already done, the work is fixed. 
doesn't matter how many people listen when how many people have are going exactly. to exactly versus like a, a service business to service a million clients you have to usually do the same thing a million times at least exactly whereas with with content creation and podcasting it doesn't matter how many people um consume your content and don't like it and don't you know become a long-term listener because for for all that don't there'll be some that do so really i think the goal as a content creator is to get in front of as many people as possible and as soon as you you know i think it's such a mistake to put your podcast behind a paywall or go exclusive because fundamentally you're just massively limiting the potential of your own brand and your own uh business and and everything that you're doing so i think it it might seem attractive in the short term but in the long term it yeah it's a huge disadvantage yeah it, it, i th i thought it was a bizarre choice by joe rogan to to sell his pot i mean they were like estimates that he's making like 30 million a year from the podcast the way it was before and then you know spotify has given him 100 million for five years or whatever it, it doesn't seem to even make sense financially um Maybe they gave him a bunch of shares or something, you know, like where he has like billion dollar upside or something. Um, but even then, like how much money does a guy need? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, yeah, as we've, as you said, Adam Curry has been on Joe Rogan. So hopefully once the three years has elapsed, he'll, uh, he'll switch back and start asking his listeners to stream him some stats. Yeah. I mean, Joe, I reckon could crush it in this, um, model and this is actually so i was going to bring this up later talking about the different um business models um but actually let, let's do this why don't so we so we've covered we were on the how did podcasting start which is you explained the rss bit of it and that it's an it's open and that like today platforms are trying to sort of become gatekeep well they're trying to centralize to build features and that's going to um make them sort of become gatekeepers and so uh how's podcasting 2.0 uh different from what's happening today and is it like is it like going back to how podcasting started or is it something completely different and new yeah so podcasting 2.0 is a movement spearheaded and created by adam curry and dave jones so they are running podcasting 2.0 and the podcast index so i'll explain the details behind it Podcasting 2.0 as a movement aims to preserve the open nature of podcasting and RSS. And the way that they are trying to achieve that is through two ways. Number one, they have set up and are running a open database of all of the podcast feeds that are out there and exist on the internet. So they run this and they make that available for developers to integrate. We're integrated with it. And they also provide, you know, downloadable versions of it and everything's, you know, open. So it kind of like goes against these centralized platforms that have entire control over the, the indexes. So that's one way they do it. And then secondly, what they're doing is they're trying to develop the RSS specification to enable some of these newer features that we see in um, traditional closed social media. So uh, w one example of that is the value for value lightning payments, but there's others like, you know, adding new tags for uh, people that appear in the shows so that you can link out to them, adding new tags for 
location so you can tag like locations that appeared in the in the podcast some other ones that are really exciting uh, that are on their way are for example adding a live tag into the rss feed so that you as a podcaster if you wanted to record live um you could the podcast players and the podcast apps could actually detect that you have a live episode and stream live versus um you know try and look for a static mp3 file um, so yeah, podcasting 2.0 is, is trying to develop the RSS spec and enable um, new podcasting features that can compete with the central platforms app on Spotify. Awesome. And um, so that's also awesome. uh, just before we move on to the next topic, I want to ask you how can if if people think that's a cool idea, that's something they want to get behind, how could they support podcasting 2.0? Because obviously, I imagine that I know Adam and um, Dave. It was Dave, right? Adam and Dave. Yeah, Jones, yeah. Dave. Um, so I imagine obviously they're putting some money into this and getting features built out. You need developers and that all requires money. So how would you say, like, if you were to give one or two ways that somebody right now could go and support that movement, what's the best thing they could do or what's something they could do? Yeah, so there's two ways you can support Podcasting 2.0. Number one is you can go to podcastindex.org, which is their main website. And you can donate via uh, PayPal if you want to just send in a one-off or recurring donation. Um, so that's one way. And we would encourage everyone to do that. And then secondly, you can stream SATs to your favorite podcast because any podcast that is using the podcast index um, for you know, searching for podcasts, when they detect what's called a value block, which is what defines the uh, lightning address, uh, for that podcast podcast index will take a one percent split of that so for example within fountain most of the podcasts that you'd listen to will send a one percent split to podcast index so that's the that's the beauty of this model is you can actually just continue what you're doing already but you know listen on a podcasting 2.0 enabled app like fountain and you'll indirectly be supporting podcast index awesome so i guess like if somebody's listening to this right now and you're doing so on an app that um, where you can stream some sats, please stream some sats. And some of that goes to support uh, podcasting 2.0 and also to support me. That would be awesome. Um, or yeah, you can go on. Podcast yeah. And what, one, one really interesting thing as well, which we actually support now in fountain. And this is the beauty of Bitcoin and the lightning network because it's programmable money is we actually support episode level splits in the value block. So what this means is for you as a podcaster, you can set up your default value block in your podcast, which would probably just go 100% to your node address. So you're receiving all of the sats. But for each episode, you can set up a different value block and you can add splits. So for example, let's say this episode, if you set up the value block after we're done recording, you could say, I really want to support podcasting 2.0. So you could put their node address in with 50% of the sats so that every single sat that you get through this episode goes 50% to them. Or for example, and then in your next episode, let's say you're interviewing someone completely different that is doing something else that you think is interesting or you care about. You could change the episode split so the 50% goes to them. And you could continue doing that for every episode so that you're not just getting paid yourself, but you're actually sharing the support with your guests. Fuck, that is, that is amazing. That's 
really exciting and amazing. Cause like, if like, for example, for my podcast, if I'm doing stuff on tech and privacy and open source software, if I had an open source project on, I could be like, you know, however many percentage of the sats of this episode are going directly to supporting the open source project. Exactly. Exactly. And all you need for that as well. We, we haven't built a new payment system or new payment rails or anything like that. We're just using the Bitcoin Lightning Network. So all that that open source pro- project would need to receive the sats is a Lightning address. That's it. Beautiful. And it's done. Beautiful. I love it. That's amazing. Um, cool. Uh, okay. So uh, I want to loop back to... Um, to what we were saying about Joe Rogan potentially or what would happen if he went to the um, podcasting 2.0 model. And um, I have a note here because, uh, yeah, like we talked about before, I, I, I used to be a more of a listener of Tim Ferriss. Since Bitcoin, a lot of stuff that I used to listen to, like I just don't anymore, but I still occasionally catch some of his, um, some of his stuff. Um, and I remember that he did an experiment where he stopped ads on his on his uh, podcast and he was going to do like a, you know, a listener funded model. And he said he was going to try it mm. for however long it was. And after like one or two episodes, he said like, I'm cutting the experiment short and I'm going back. The reason he gave was that people told him that they liked uh, his ads because it was like him curating products and services uh, that he uses and, and, you making them discoverable for the, his audience. So the audience appreciated like him telling them about some awesome shirts that he wears or whatever else he's like, um, he's, he's marketing. Mm. Um, so that's the reason he gave, but I wonder how much of it is just like the friction of being able to receive money from listeners. They just didn't, didn't pay. And I'm guessing like some listeners didn't care about the, you know, I skip past all ads on, on, on podcasts. Like I know the podcast I listen to, I know where the ads are. And I just like, you know, the forward 30 second button until I get to the first three minutes where it actually kicks in. Um, so I wonder how much of that is true in terms of like, it's because listeners actually contacted him and said, we appre- we want the ads. We like hearing the, about the products and services versus like he realized his revenue is cut by, you know, nine tenths in, you know, 90% or whatever, because people just weren't donating or paying. Let's yeah. Say. It- yeah, it's really interesting. And I actually think that it's a bit of everything that probably contributed to his decision there. I think first off, we're not trying to necessarily replace advertising. You know, I think for the, in the short term, at least, um, value for value and receiving sats through your podcast is going to augment your ad revenue if you have it. Um, I think over time it will it will replace it. But I think it's perfectly fine for a podcast to still have ads in their podcast why not you know Mm. um you there's trust that exists between the podcaster and the listener there's immense trust if you've been listening for a long time and so there's nothing wrong with uh i think to do an ad where it's a product that you've personally vouched for and you believe in that product and and they're paying you to promote it i don't think there's anything wrong with that yeah um i think with the specific example with Tim Ferriss, I do think the friction will have played a part in it because, yeah, as I said before, like to have to go out of the podcast app and uh, do something externally on a different website, I think is just, yeah, it's incredibly introduces too much friction. I also think something that's interesting about particularly the messages that you can send along with a payment is that 
they actually provide value to the listener as well as the podcaster that receives them because it's nice as a listener to be able to, as I'm listening, send a message and a payment to the podcaster and know that they're going to receive that. Because often if you just leave a comment on a blog or a website, you're not sure that they're, that they're even going to read it or notice or care too much. Whereas if you send a payment along with it, like they, they're going to take notice. So I think there's a lot of reasons why that probably didn't work well. It's going to take time for it to get to the level where somebody like Tim Ferriss could replace his ad revenue with uh, listener supported, um, you know, support through streaming sats. But I think we will get there eventually. Yeah. I mean, I, so the, I'm partly attracted Obviously, I like the openness and having the direct relationship with a listener, um, and I and I actually like the fact that you know you really have to deliver value in order for somebody to to make a payment for you. So like it has you you can't be you can't be shit. You can't like put no effort in. Nobody's gonna care. You're not gonna deliver value. You're not gonna make any money. Um, yeah. Whereas like you can be quite clickbaity with with content, get viewers, and then get advertisers even though the actual the meat of the content itself is not great but like you know if you use youtube great titles great thumbnails and you keep like dangling the carrot throughout you can sort of get enough views but the content is just like very shallow or not very valuable at all um uh, i wonder yeah like i wonder if this is something that where like bitcoin fixes this where tim ferris's like uh listener paid model might have worked uh if using bitcoin which would remove the friction of actually like having a listener make a payment but i guess what the the friction we have on the bitcoin side now is like not a lot of people know how to use bitcoin know how to get bitcoin even know what bitcoin is so it would be the 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 friction to be eliminated is like onboarding people onto bitcoin right 100 percent. yeah exactly if we had tim on the call right now i'd say to him you know, there's there's still there's probably too much friction for you to do the same experiment again and ask all of your listeners to switch over to, uh, you know, uh, listener support through the Bitcoin network. Mm. Um, having said that, I do think we'll get there. And the amazing thing about Bitcoin and Lightning versus, you know, us trying to build this ourselves is that it's not just Fountain, it's not just Podcasting 2.0 that are working to improve the onboarding UX of Bitcoin and Lightning, everybody's trying to do it. You know, you have um, nation states that are now invested in doing it. You have um, massive financial institutions that are invested in doing it. So, you know, these problems are going to get solved um, and they're not going to get solved just by Fountain. Um, they're going to, yeah, they're going to be solved by everybody, which is the advantage that we have. And it's what is why I think that the, UX and onboarding challenges we see will actually be solved sooner than a lot of people think. Yeah, I mean, I, like listening to you, I'm hearing a lot of parallels with like what stuff that Jack Mallow says when he's talking about lightning um, for what he does, which is like remittance and payments and stuff where he's saying like, because it's an open, exactly what you're saying, because it's an open network, you know, when he builds something, it benefits everyone and the interoperability of anyone being able to use it for almost anything. Um, just like you get a lot of compounding uh, advancements in when when everyone is working around the same um, open system, which is awesome. And I guess like that's going to apply to to his business and what he does, and it's going to apply to podcasting and and streaming sets on via podcast as well, which is amazing. Exactly. If somebody 
you know, improves the um, onboarding to, you know, buying your first Bitcoin on the Lightning Network in a non-custodial way, for example. This is going to apply to every single Lightning enabled app out there in every single vertical. So yeah, things just move so much faster. And is that, so I, I actually noted this down before, but I forgot to ask you, is that something that Fountain, if if one of the biggest biggest frictions is the onboarding, like getting someone some sats so that they can stream payments, um, would it, is it something that Fountain is considering? Like making, uh, like, so I, I get Fountain and then one of the first things I do is like Fountain can help me get sats so that I can then have them in my wallet immediately and start streaming versus right now, like, it was easy for me because I have like every lightning wallet in the world and I've got some sats in all of them because I like I'm into it. So, but if I was a person who's never had Bitcoin, I have to then like go find a way to buy Bitcoin, which is like you, that sometimes can take like two weeks if you're onboarding onto a KYC exchange, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So is that something yeah. you guys have considered? Yeah, we're definitely considering um, things like that. I think the challenge is, well, one of the biggest challenges is the regulatory uh, situation, because as soon as we offer a uh, fiat on ramp into Bitcoin and Lightning, we have to deal with different regulations in every jurisdiction. Mm. And obviously, there's, there are non-custodial ways that we can do that and avoid it. But, you know, where we're at right now... Um, I mean, we're investigating all of these things, but we yeah, haven't. I understand. Like, we no, haven't arrived at a solution yeah, right yeah. now. I, but yeah, we're we're thinking about it definitely. Yeah, cool, awesome. Um, okay, I think uh, like we've already talked a lot about this already, but it might be useful as well in case people don't understand how podcasting, like podcasting business models, um, like can you go through sort of the advertising model versus a streaming sats model, uh. And like, what would, what would you think about the cost and benefits for each one? I'll give you an example if that helps. Um, so one of the reasons I'm super attracted to the, to the streaming sats model is like, I've already had some people reaching out and like, Oh, can you do a paid shout out? Or can you do this? And it's like, you know, to, to not that I, I don't want to do those things, but if somebody's reach somebody that I don't know, like whose business I don't know, asked me for a paid shout out and they want to do like a one-off thing, right? So for me, I'm not going to just do a paid shout out just because someone's paying me. I have to know what the, what the product or service is and, and think about whether that's something that I want to promote. Um, but for a single paid shout out, it doesn't make any sense either because the, you're not going to spend so much time to get a shout out, which, you know, they might only pay you whatever it is, tens of pounds or a hundred pounds or whatever, whatever the figure is. So just even dealing with that side of, of like figuring out which sponsors are right and then figuring out like the length of a sponsorship and how much to charge and blah, 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 blah. It just seems like that's taking away from the core, uh, the, the, the core thing, which is making amazing content that people want to listen to. So you'd remove a friction. You'd, you'd actually like by going a route where you can just stream sats to a creator and the creator's going the route where he's just going to monetize via streaming sats, he's actually probably freeing up more time to make the content even better than if he had to spend resources and time on the advertising side of things for monetization. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree more. Um, I think, you know, that's why bigger podcasts are able to monetize quite successfully because they have potentially you know a team to handle more of the production and um they're able to you know source 
um, larger deals and do deals over the longer term. Um, but yeah, it's incredibly time consuming to figure out bespoke um, advertisers that match your brand and, and what you're interested in and what you can vouch for. And yeah, you're right. That time could just as easily be spent on making the podcast even better. Um, and I think the other thing is even, you know, if you're releasing a new podcast in the first episode, in the first minute, you can ask for um, support. You can say, hey, guys, this is just a test episode. Um, I'm thinking of doing this as a podcast. Um, if I get to uh, 20,000 sats in this first episode, then I'm going to carry on. Like, let me know what you think. Mm. Send me some sats. Let me know. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it's just it's an easier way to um, to monetize for sure. Yeah, I think also like I've um, I've like worked in businesses and then also had a couple of businesses which were like very human resource heavy, which meant like, you know, you're relying service businesses. You're usually, unless you do a SaaS business, you're usually relying on humans. And then that's just a whole other headache. Like I've just found that I'm, per, I'm, I'm pers I personally just like working on my own or with one or two people um, who are more like contractors rather than employees or anything else. And that like, you know, you work together as long as like it works out and then you can part ways if you need to based on a different project you're going to do or whatever. Um, so like, I feel like building a, a media machine where it's like, you know, you're going the advertising route, you're, you're probably adding um, complexity in terms of how many people you need. And if you're not into that, uh, it, it, yeah, it, it, it can turn something you really enjoy, which is like making a podcast into something you don't enjoy, which is like running a media company where they serve the main product is a podcast, which you like, you like the podcast, but you don't want to have like 10 employees that handle a bunch of different stuff. So the streaming sats exactly. allows you to be really lean exactly. and just be you, or maybe, you know, you and an editor or whatever it is, but just like allows you to be a solopreneur or a solo creator and not have to turn it into a massive business. And then you end up just like sort of managing rather than actually creating. Exactly. And I think there's like this middle ground that is where it's really difficult. Like if you're first starting out, creating a podcast and you're just doing it for fun and you know just recording some episodes and you know it's, it's not too much time that's great but then if you try and accelerate things a little bit and, and try and grow you're going to be putting more time into it and it's going to be costing you a lot in terms of time and potentially money as well if you're hiring an editor but in that middle stage you probably are not making enough money to be able to afford um you know, yeah, a team that's going to help you with all of the business side of things. And so you're going to have to do a lot of that yourself. And so it becomes this thing where you're running a business without actually signing up for running a business and you're running that business so that you can make money through advertising. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you can just take that all away if you, even if you have a, a very small number of listeners and, but if they're really interested in what you're doing, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take much for uh, people, to make significant revenue if, if your supporters are supporting every episode. Yeah, I, I I almost also see it as like a differentiating factor if you are, because I going back to the question I asked you about before, like should I go streaming sats only or should I just go everywhere and just try and reach as many listeners? I, I'm still like stuck on this, like wanting to only do the streaming sat, not, not saying like you have to stream sats, but making it the podcast available on platforms where people can stream sats and not on the other ones 
almost as like a point of differentiation. Like you can only listen, if you really want to listen to this podcast, you can only listen to it here. And it's like, oh, it, because it's like Adam Curry, his brand is almost around the podcasting 2.0, right? As well. So I, don't, you, I, I just feel like you would attract a certain audience that's probably more likely to then also, you know, stream you sats when they're listening. Um, I don't know if I'm if I'm rambling or making any sense there, but just, yeah, I see it as a point of differentiation um, that might actually help attract a more committed audience. Mm. Mm. I think I think that would definitely work. And I, I don't I don't have too strongly a held view here. I think the one thing that uh, puts me off that as an approach is I think there's still, you know, us talking right now and, you know, especially in the Bitcoin community and, you know, people are very aware of everything that we've been talking about on this, uh, in this conversation. Mm. But I think there's still such a massive educational job to do. And I think it's great if we can reach people that have no idea about any of this. And where are those people going to be listening? They're going to be listening on Spotify. They're going to be listening on Apple Podcasts. So I'd much rather somebody discover this conversation or another conversation like it on Apple and Spotify and then be convinced to switch, to switch through the conversation as opposed to not ever trying it because the switching cost was too high. Um, but I, I could be wrong there. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see um, through experimentation, really. No, I think you've just convinced me. I think that's a very good point. And like, I've just like looked at myself there. I may be, you know, if everyone who did this only stuck to like the open platforms and streaming sets, I may have never heard about it because I was on using Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever before. Um, so I think that's a very good point. And yeah, I, I guess you could still make the podcast, like you said, like you could talk about streaming sats and you can make it like as if you're talking to an audience who's listening through an application where they can stream sats, but you also put it on Spotify and stuff and they listen. They're like, what's the stream? Exactly, stuff? exactly. I don't have and you can talk here. to them directly. That's the beauty of podcasts yeah. as well. Like you can literally say to them at the start of the episode or at the end of the episode or whenever, just say, hey guys, like if you're listening on Spotify or Apple, like please, please, please do me a favor. It would really help me out if you... Uh, try one of these new podcast apps, you know, try Fountain. It's amazing. It's it's, it's a better experience than you, you'll get on Apple or Spotify. Try it and support me that way. And you can go into all of the detail of everything we've talked about and why that's important. So I think, you know, I think that's a great way to, yeah, bring people in. I 100% agree. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go for that. I think one of the issues I had as well was like going, because I'm, I, you know, I'm not using my real identity, um, Mm. applying through google and and apple they wanted i don't i didn't actually go all the way through with google i do have you know a this is bitcoin.com uh google account which doesn't have my name anywhere so it's fine um but like the apple one like now i have to create an, a fake you know not a fake but a synonymous pseudonymous apple account which is fine but yeah that was a bit of friction for me because i'm not using my real identity um mm. when when doing this whereas like the rss doesn't care yeah yeah definitely yeah that's definitely a, a difficult aspect to it yeah okay awesome well there yeah i think you've convinced me there to just go for go for them all so i'll i'll um i'll do that uh we've talked a lot about lightning and moving swiftly from the fact that like now we're going to put this out there to well i'm going to put this out to on on all the platforms and we might have people listening who uh 
who don't know what we're talking about and don't know what Bitcoin is or what, I, I think it would be useful to explain um, what Lightning is and why why Lightning enables, let's assume they know Bitcoin already. Um, uh, they've heard about Bitcoin. So why does Lightning enable streaming sats? Like, are you able to explain what it is and how it works? Yeah, so I'll do my best to explain what the Bitcoin Lightning Network is, but I'm sure there's other uh, people and other podcasts that, will give a much better explanation than me. Um, but the Bitcoin Lightning Network is essentially a layer two um, that comes off of the main Bitcoin blockchain. And effectively, it's a network of payment channels that exist between different, um, different people that are using the Bitcoin blockchain. And without getting into too much of the technical detail, what the Lightning Network allows is instantaneous settlement of Bitcoin between different parties. And so for, for somebody that's familiar with Bitcoin, but not Lightning, I'm sure you've probably heard of the 10 minute block times, um, which means that, you know, if you were to pay for a cup of coffee with Bitcoin through, a, through an on-chain transaction, you might have to wait a bit of time for that to confirm and, and you know confidently know that that had settled. With Lightning, you can achieve instantaneous settlement of the transaction, which allows uh, these use cases like streaming sats on a per minute basis or you know buying a coffee. Um, as well as this, it also uh, saves on the block space on the main chain. So you can have millions of transactions going through these payment channels on the Lightning Network. And then only when you want to uh, kind of settle up or close one of the payment channels, you can move back to the main uh, chain. So yeah, that's a high level overview. I think for anyone listening that doesn't have a good understanding of the Lightning Network, there's plenty of podcasts out there. Um, you can actually check out my profile on Fountain and I have a playlist about the Lightning Network, which has some highlights from different podcasts. So you can go check that out. But yeah, that's a high level overview. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I thought that was a great explanation. Um, really easy to understand. Sometimes like if I'm not saying you don't, but like sometimes when you hear somebody who like, you know, an Alex, I think it's Alex Bosworth, like somebody who's like deep in Lightning Network, when they try to explain it to you, they almost go into too much technical detail such that a, a newbie is like, I don't get any of this, but wh when, you know, when you have someone who maybe isn't, I know you are technical, but if you have somebody explaining it, who's not as like deep in the lightning network, they can sort of just tell you about the high, like the bits that ma really matter, um, which is in this case, the instant settle. Well, let's say instant and near free settlement versus Bitcoin, which um, takes a little bit longer. I would also encourage this as a side note um, on anyone who's uh, interested in like, uh, well, anyone who's heard like the FUD that like Bitcoin is slow, I would go and read um, It's the Settlement Assurances Stupid by Nick Carter. That's a great article talking about like sort of transaction finality on Bitcoin versus other blockchains um, and how it's not maybe as slow as you think it is um, because a lot of it matter, a, a lot of, a lot of like the how much proof of work has gone into, into 
creating the blocks matters. You could have like another blockchain. We're going on a tangent, but we could have another blockchain, which a hundred blocks are, you know, it's a less final transaction that five blocks on the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, but yeah, th that article by Nick Carter is great for that. If anyone's listening and wants to check it out. Um, but yeah, I, I was going to say on, on the, you know, on the topic of lightning, I think, you know, obviously layer one Bitcoin is what most people have heard of and understand. And it's like the, the store of value decentralized monetary asset use case. Um, it's, there's no doubt that that's like the most important aspect of Bitcoin and Bitcoin needs to be, um, needs to have some value. Or if people don't ascribe value to Bitcoin, then none of the rest of this maybe works. Um, but I think like the really interesting stuff is like layer two lightning. Um, and that's, that's where a lot of the, I guess, really interesting use cases are happening. Like we're seeing, you know, El Salvador is able to make Bitcoin legal tender because uh, they're able to use the lightning network. Um, whereas with just layer one, um, it probably couldn't have been done. We can do the streaming sat stuff. And then there's people building on top of lightning, um, like fountain app, which is, which is amazing. So, uh, I'm super excited about layer twos and layer threes. Um, and I encourage anyone who just knows about layer one Bitcoin to, to dig into this stuff. Um, cause yeah, there's some exciting stuff being built, uh, in terms of, um, just, I guess we'll, we'll round it up and you and I, if, if you have time, I'd still love to, um, for you to show me what you were going to show me later. Um, but uh, just to round it out, I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, um, any other, are there any other similar podcast apps that people may have heard of um, that you can talk about like why Fountain is different to those or maybe maybe similarities and differences. Like I know Breeze has, Breeze is like a lightning wallet as I understand, but also has like a podcast player built into it. So I think you can stream sets. There's obviously Sphinx chat, which is supposed to be, I haven't really used it, but I know it's like supposed to be a chatting app, but you can also stream stuff on there. I haven't played around with it too much, but how is Breeze, are there any similarities and or differences between those apps and Fountain? Yeah, definitely. It's a great question. I think the similarities are that we both Breeze and us and some of the other apps all offer the ability to listen to podcasts and uh, send uh, money over the Lightning Network to the podcasters. And this is an example of what we've talked about, where because it's an open standard, there's multiple apps that can that can um, build off the back of the standard, and therefore there's competition, which is great for the end consumer. Um, I think the difference is with with us, with Fountain, we are 100% focused on being a podcast app. We're 100% focused on podcasting. And we only want to do one thing and one thing well, which is be a podcast app. I think Breeze are doing so many incredible things. You know, they've got a non-custodial lightning wallet. They've got um, a point of sale system in there. And they are innovating much more than, than we are on the actual you know, lightning infrastructure. And it's amazing to see what they're doing. I think we're taking a slightly different approach, which is focusing more on the uh, podcasting experience and also trying to bring, um, uh, you know, lightning enabled podcasting to people that have never heard of Bitcoin and have never heard of lightning. And so might be a little bit intimidated by setting up a non-custodial wallet for the first time. So that we're taking slightly different approaches. Um, but I think the great thing here uh, in this, I guess, competitive space is that we are all, although we're competing against each other, we're actually all working together to compete against the incumbents, Apple and Spotify. And so there's a lot that we can learn from each other and share because at the end of the day, if 
uh, Fountain does something to improve the user experience of lightning enabled podcasting. And if Breeze does something or Sphinx does something, we can all le- we can all share in that. We can all benefit from that. And that kind of it's that phrase of a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think we need to help each other if we're going to um, you know compete against the big players, Apple and Spotify. And then once we're able to do that, of course, we're still going to be competitive. But competition is great. You know, it's been it's really beneficial for the end consumer. And some people are going to prefer certain flavors uh, of podcasting and and other people will prefer other ways of doing things and and that's great and we welcome that so yeah it's it's a really interesting space to be in yeah amazing amazing um uh just finally there's two, so two more things um are there any sort of like what are the plans in terms of like features or adding anything to the app is there anything that you can share is there anything that like you guys are excited excited to be working on or if those are secrets then by all means, um, there's no need to share. Uh, and then just, and after that, just, uh, do you have an ask for anyone that's listening? Um, cause I know you guys have just launched, so I'd love, I'd, I'd love it if there was, you know, if there's anything that you need from anyone listening or from me, um, let us know because I, I'm sure that people who are listening to this and who have gotten to the, this far into the episode are, are like really enthusiastic and, uh, about this space and they would love to help support businesses and people who are, who are building in there. I'm, I definitely fall in that category. Um, so yeah, any new features and then anything we can do to help you. Yeah. So in terms of features, I think our number one focus right now is just making the listening experience on fountain as good as it can be. We want the experience when you listen on fountain to be as good, if not better than whatever podcast app you're arriving from. And, you know, we're, we're not quite there yet. So we're heavily focused on the listener experience. Um, I think this ties into the ask as well. If anyone's listening, who's interested in what we've been talking about, I would absolutely love it if you uh, downloaded Fountain, checked it out and just, you know, tried using it, tried listening to your favorite podcast, try topping up your wallet and supporting your favorite podcast with some stats. And if you have any feedback or there's just anything that you notice that would stop you from switching, uh, please just let me know. You can send me an email at oscar at fountain.fm. But yeah, that's the number one ask really is just feedback because uh, we know how much people love listening to podcasts and we know that um, it's, it's a big ask from us to actually switch to Fountain and use us. So I think, yeah, if there's anyone listening that wants to support um a business like ours trying to you know um bring bitcoin and the lightning network into uh new verticals please just download it give it a try and if you have any feedback uh, send us an email yeah awesome i mean i'll also say like i appreciate the fact that you the reason why we're having this conversation um and i, I think i am going to say this in the intro that i'm going to record but i'll repeat it again now is as uh, because you reached out to me to um even though I've got made one episode of a podcast, like you're, you're a hustler. You reached out to me and you said like, Hey, like, I, I know your pod, I noticed your podcast not on fountain yet. How can we get it on there? Um, and that's how I got on. It turns out I was already following you guys. Cause I just tend to follow like anything to do with Bitcoin. I just like click follow. Cause I would just, in case anything interesting is happening, I want to, I want to sort of keep up with it. But I, I then, yeah, I got, I got fountain. I, I already actually, I already had the app, but I signed up. It was super easy and it was super easy to add, the usual podcast that I like to listen to. And I, and you know, I tried it for the, 
last few days preparing for this interview and I managed to load the wallet up. It was a neat, super smooth experience. I loaded up with some sats and I've started listening to podcasts and you took my streaming sats podcast virginity, believe it or not. I have Sphinx chat and I have things <laughs> and whatever else, but I'd never actually bothered to Amazing. use them. So you guys were my first and I encourage uh, anyone else listening to check out Fountain. It's, it's fountain.fm and it's available on Android and iOS, right? Yeah, that's right. Fantastic. All right, Oscar, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks so much.